Colossians 1, 24 to 2, 5 says this. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. What would you suffer for? What do you suffer for in life? What do you suffer and contend for in life? Uh, two years ago, I suffered to complete a challenge called the Welsh 3000s, walking all of the peaks over 3000 feet in North Wales in under 24 hours. You know, I really wanted to pit myself against this, to pay the cost to complete this challenge, to see if I could do it. It took a couple of attempts, two nights without sleep, and I hurt my knee so badly in the process that I gave myself a deep vein thrombosis. I needed six months treatment for this, but I did it. I was willing to suffer for the experience, for the adventure, and just to say, hey, I've done that. I'm not sure my wife thought it was worth it. But what are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to contend and drive for in life? Is it a sporting goal? Are you trying to complete a marathon? Is it doing well in work? You know, do you work long hours? Do you neglect family sometimes to get ahead? Is it getting good exam results? Maybe it's a cause environment, big business, challenging those things? Is it making money, bettering your life, building your children a future that is secure? Is it doing up your house? What costs you something in life? Or, or is it nothing? As you think on this question, is there nothing in your life that you are prepared to pay a price for? to see happen? Is there nothing in your life that is 
of such a worth that you would not dislodge your own comfort to achieve? The question of what you are willing to suffer and contend for in life is such an important one to stop and think about. Because the answer to this question shows us what the fruit of our life will actually be. If you've ever wondered what the impact and legacy of your life will be, what you will build and leave behind in life, it is the answer, what you are suffering and contending for, that will tell you. The answer to this question will tell you what you will leave behind. It will give you an honest answer. Let me give you an example to evidence this. If I said to you, I am absolutely going to be the greatest ballerina in the world. Darcy Bustle is going to have nothing on me. Move over. Matt Ashworth Bustle is what everybody is going to be talking about for years. And I was to say, ballet is going to be my legacy, taking that to the next level, I think you would have cause to question whether this was true and maybe to shoot me down somewhat. You may say, Matt, you know, you might look good in a tutu, but Darcy has given her whole life to the perfection of ballet. This has been her toil, her suffering, what she's contended for. Whereas Matt, you, in your 37 years of life, I think you've played Just Dance on two occasions. It's never going to be your legacy. The truth is I'm never going to be known for it because I've never toiled for it. You know, at the moment, hopefully, I'm thinking about what some of my things might be. It might be Matt's leaving behind a really good, secure family. It might be, hopefully, that Matt helped get a church through a season of COVID and in my other job helped find some more solutions for prison leavers who are leaving prison homeless. Those will be some of my legacies because those are some of the things that I pay the cost for. You know, what you choose to suffer for in your life will be the legacy you leave behind in life. You know, what you suffer for also then lets you evaluate, and understanding this question lets you evaluate what you are building and whether you are building the right things. You know, for example, if I toil for long hours and suffer for long hours at the expense of my wife and children, then my legacy is going to be, yeah, maybe a, a great retirement package, but it's not going to be uh, a really secure family with great relationships. And if you're not suffering at all, that also tells you something. If nothing in your life is costing you anything, any time, any thought, any blood, any sweat and tears, you've probably just hit cruise control as well. And you've stopped really seeking any meaningful goal in life. You're probably just happy entertaining yourself until death comes to take you. And I think sometimes there's a bit of a pandemic of that in our world. I think Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th American president, really clarifies this point when he says, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort pain or difficulty. I've never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. Difficult lives lived well for the right things lead to lasting impact and legacies. What you're suffering 
and contending for in life tells you whether you are living this kind of life. Now here in this short passage of scripture that we set off with today, we find out what Paul, the author of this letter, the answer to was to this question. We are told what he was willing to suffer and contend for in his life. And we also find out really importantly why he was willing to do this. In terms of the what he was willing to suffer for, which is where we'll just start looking at the scripture again today, is this. It's actually really different to the things we've already looked at. In verse 28, we read that he toiled that ultimately he may present everyone in the church mature in Christ. And in verse 29, if you look at it, he says that for this one thing above all others, he was toiling and struggling for with all the energy that Christ worked in him. You know, when I read this, I read what he's willing to suffer for. It feels honestly like such an out there thing, slightly alien to thing to want to struggle for. It's outside of my cultural frame of reference. Part of me doesn't even know how this thing fits into modern life. I don't honestly see many living examples of people who are crying out, I am willing to toil for this end, to see the church mature, to see God's people grow mature for the day of Jesus's return. I see lots of people around me willing to burn themselves out in work to please a boss, to get a promotion, to move on up, to busy themselves on social engagement, for kids, for money, or, or really trying to excel at other aspects of their life. And I recognise these things clearly in myself. They feel normal things to toil for to me. And if we look at the life of Paul, he, he clearly strived in some of these ways. It wasn't that they were absent from him. He had a, a business as a tent maker and he was a scholar, a studied, learned man from Tarsus. This man toiled in life in some of the ways we do, but these things were not his ultimate toil. Over and above all of these challenges, we see that his primary answer to what he would suffer and contend for in life is this, that he may present everyone mature in Christ. In fact, in his opening statement of this passage that we've just read in verse 24, he says that actually he rejoices in suffering for the, this aim, that on the final day, when Jesus returns for his bride, on that wonderful day when we once again will see Jesus face to face, when the King of Kings comes to claim once and for all, all that is his, he will come to look upon a people and not see a mass of those who went off to the right or the left or who fell down, who grew discouraged, whose growth in love for one another was stifled by bitterness and bitter roots or who were drawn away by some clever argument to the left and right or followed another idol. But instead, when he comes, he will find before him a presented army of mature Christian people, where the seeds of the gospel and the glory of Jesus were planted well and deeply in them, and who throughout the years of their lives allowed that seed to grow strong and true together, mature and beautiful, 
in all of the magnificence of Jesus Christ. It was this act of helping the the church grow up into this maturity that Paul was willing to suffer and toil and contend with all his strength for. And, And boy, did this man contend. I mean, as Butters taught us in the opening sermon on this series, when he was writing this, he was in prison. He'd lost his freedom. But Paul took beatings. He was part of a shipwreck. Mobs attacked him. He felt faced multiple inquisitions. His daily hard work and strivings he gave to this end. He saw rejection from his own people and eventually he faced death. To see every woman, man, girl and boy in the churches he supported and planted across Asia Minor, uh, Macedonia and Rome come to maturity in Christ and start bearing fruit of their own right. So that when Jesus returned, he went, wow, what a beautiful, mature people are before me. All of his energies went into this goal. And if we look a little bit more deeply at this passage, if you come with me a little bit more deeply into it, we see a few more details of what Paul was specifically striving for in his people that would lead to this maturity at personal cost. We find this particularly in Colossians 2, 2 to 4. Let me just read that again. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In this part of the scripture, we see Paul strives for four specific things that lead to lasting maturity, that grow maturity, that are signs of growing maturity in us that he wanted to see and strive for in the church. In verse 2, he, we saw that he wanted them to be encouraged in hearts. He wanted a church to grow in hearts full of courage and confidence and passion for where they stood in God because of Jesus. He is striving them for them to have strong, built up, passionate hearts, not weak, floppy, wimpy hearts. You know, it's funny, as a, as a Christian leader, I've seen lots of people grow really well in knowledge about God and Jesus. But fewer have I seen grow in real courage and assurance to the point that when the King of Kings says, go, says, go church planting in this nation, says go to that people group, says go into that dark place, that they run confidently, sacrificing things to go into battle and mission with the King of Kings. You know, our levels of courage and encouragement are often a better measure of how mature we are in Christ, how secure we are in Him, how well we know Him. And Paul wants us to have this kind of encourage in our hearts rather than just a head knowledge here. The second thing we see in this passage is Paul is striving for them in verse 2 to be united in love. This is the second mark of maturity. A people who are not just surface level niceness where they really hide gripes to one another, but really love each other and care for each other like Jesus did, laying down their lives for one another. Again, when we measure our own maturity, and it is really important when we're talking about love here to look at ourselves, not at others here. 
Uh, as when we often consider how ch well churches are doing in love, we can all too often become concerned with the speck in somebody else's eye rather than the log in our own eyes on this point. But it's really important we consider how much love and unity is in our hearts for others. Are we living Jesus's love and compassion out to others in our church community? Or have we got hung up on something, some aspect of something some other one said and let this get into us and bitterness grow up in us that actually prevents this. Love again is a far better measure of Christian maturity in our own lives than what we have read about Jesus and it's one we should regularly check ourselves on. Moving on, verses two to three pull out that actually a deep passionate, growing knowledge in Christ is another thing that Paul was contending for us here, to grow in and being really important in the maturity of the church. He says this in a slightly tricky way. He uses language like the full riches of complete understanding in the mystery of God, namely Christ. It's a repetition of some of the things he says in 127, where he talks about making known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, have you ever looked at a, a cut diamond before, beautiful cut diamond? It, it's stunning in the way that it, it breaks up, it refracts light that comes into it because of the many faces on it, because it is multifaceted. Whichever way you look at it, there is a new angle and beauty to grasp. Paul's tricky language here is reminding us and the readers that Jesus is God's multifaceted diamond. There are so many riches hidden in the God-man come to earth to die for us, in his teaching and his acts and his resurrected kingship and his sending of the Holy Spirit to remain in relationship with us. There is so much glory and beauty that every time we look at him, another part of the mystery and beauty of what God accomplished in him is revealed to us. And Paul is saying here that part of the maturity that he was striving for in us and in the church was a full knowledge and deep understanding of the great and beautiful diamond that is Jesus Christ and wants us to have that same passion in him. That's the third thing. Finally, and very quickly in verse four, we see that he wants us to grow in a discerning spirit as we develop in love, as we develop in encouragement, as we develop in a knowledge of who Christ really was. He wants us to have the ability to spot clever arguments that can lead us away. And a key part of maturity is being able to spot a rubbish argument when it comes up. These are the things Paul was toiling and suffering for, to develop a people, a church of great encouragement, love, knowledge and discernment, who would be fully mature and beautified on Christ's return. It's what he suffered for. This is the legacy he wanted to leave behind. Why, why did he want to? I said that why was hidden in this, this passage as well. Why was he doing this? Why was he suffering for this? Above all other toils in his life, why did he put his hand to this toil? Well, the first part of this answer is really simple actually, because this is what he understood following Jesus' example, the model he set meant in life to do. 
Paul says in suffering for the maturity of the church, he is simply copying and continuing the example that Jesus before him set. He is simply suffering and contending for the same thing that Jesus's life suffered and contended for. He lays this out in verse 24 where he started, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul here is saying he rejoices in the opportunity to continue in the footsteps and aims of Christ to follow his example and to add his own personal sacrifices to the cause which was so dear to Jesus and cost Jesus so much. As such here, Paul sees his suffering and contending a bit like running a relay race. He sees that Jesus, at great personal cost, like a, a sprinter who ran through the pain barrier with all he had, ran the first leg of establishing a mature church. And now he, seeing how much importance and effort and cost God had given to this first leg, sought to build on the legacy of Jesus's life. He was, so he took hold of this baton and ran and contended with all of his might to continue the race that God himself had started. Paul saw that yours and my maturation was what Jesus gave his whole being for. It was the place he spent his energies, his time, his money. It's what he suffered and died for so that we would be presented beautiful and mature on the day of Christ's return. That you would know the depths of the hope of glory there was in the mystery of Christ revealed. As such, Paul says, I am choosing to suffer for this. Like one who is choosing to build the cathedral after the designer initiator had passed on. But if we read a bit more into the passage, it's more than just a sense of Paul copying Jesus and continuing Jesus. Instead here in his words, there is a real sense that Christ himself is still striving to the same ends he was in life of maturing the church, only in and through Paul by the Spirit. We see this in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Jesus came to earth. He died and he rose again to establish his ecclesia and bring them to maturity. Now in his risen place, he is still focused on building his church. It is the passion to which he toils and powerfully works but it's now by the Spirit working in us and through us that he does this. The more Paul knew of the power of Christ working in him and changing and establishing his desires, the more his heart and his spirit was empowered to sacrifice for Christ's purpose as a co-worker with him. And he was compelled to strive for that which Christ loved as Christ's love grew in him. Why was Paul willing to sacrifice for the maturity of the church? Because by the Spirit he had caught at a measure of God's heart for it in Jesus and allowed God to develop his own passion through the Spirit working in him. So that's the what and that's the why. Let's start to close up, shall we, 
this morning and bring some of this together. You know, there are loads of questions, this small bit of scripture. I mean, scripture is so rich, isn't it? So wonderful. Just so many questions it can raise and challenges for our own life, uh, what we've looked at today. You know, one thing I think it asks us is how are we doing with those four measures of maturity that Paul was toiling for the church to develop in? Uh, as we start uh, emerging from the grave of lockdown, I think it's a really good time to ask these questions again. How full of courage are you in Christ? How courageous is your heart feeling for the next steps of his adventure? How full of love are you truly for your brothers and sisters in the church? Have you still got that mature sense of love for one another that's there, or is distant cause that to wane? Jesus wants to ignite that again for you. Are you still growing in a knowledge of God's diamond, Jesus Christ? Or is it time just to pick up a book again, get stuck into a preaching series again and drive forward your own passion in Jesus Christ? And can you spot clever teaching? Can you spot the, the false? Is your spirit discerning for that as well? But more than that, where I want to land things today is right back at our beginning, our first question, which is what are you willing to sacrifice and contend for to build in your life? And I want to ask you the question, is maturing the church part of your suffering mix? Is it part of what you are paying the price to build in your life? Will it be part of your life's legacy? Or is this sense of contending for the church missing because you have either, uh, I don't know, fallen into the trap of not really contending for anything in your life? Or you've become so busy and directed for the things that people strive for and suffer for in the world, work, money, family, that you have not even considered it to be a part of what you should suffer and toil for in life. If this is missing from your mix for these reasons, what this passage tells us is that you are missing something about what it is to follow Christ and what the Spirit wants to breathe into your life afresh, that Paul captures and understands and models for us so well in these few verses. For both groups of people, it is time to hear again the call of God to build and toil for his church and its maturing and its beautification again this morning. If you're the first group, the challenging call is to push back on apathy and comfort. It's smothering you. It's taken hold of your life and ultimately your legacy will be nothing because of it. And hear Christ's call to come and join him again in his work of toiling for the maturation and encouragement of his people. Get off your sofas. Stop watching so much Netflix and invest in the things that he invested in. Get in the race. Learn to rejoice again like Paul did in this toil that captivated Jesus' life. If you're in the second group, the message this morning is probably a little bit more nuanced. It's not that all of your other toils do not matter. Parenting, doing well, even earning money. Many of these toils are, are actually deeply important. And actually, as I said before, Paul had them in his life as well. 
You know, nor is the message that everyone listening should drop everything and go off church planting, leaving the duties and challenges of their lives behind. Not all of us will have that same commissioning from God that Paul describes in verse 25, where he says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. You know, some of you will, though, actually, if I pause here, some of you will have been called to church leadership. Some of you will have been called to mission, to big faith steps in that, uh, to move into the sphere where you are planting and building churches. And the challenge I've got for you this morning is not to grow old without acting on this call. Don't let it pass you by. But for most of us listening this morning, there will be other things demanding our time and energy that are important. So instead, the message for you is this. If your suffering mix doesn't have any space left to join in, in his contending to mature his people, you have missed or, or not yet understood that beyond your personal salvation from sin, Christ has called you to come and build his church with him where you are, to give your energies into what he gave his life for and gives his spirit to accomplish the maturation and beautification of his people for the point of time when he comes, of people who go on to bear and reproduce that beautiful fruit of the gospel in the lives of other people. To see a people he's calling you, encouraged in heart, unified deep in love, and astounded by the multifaceted glory of Christ, able to discern nonsense, that they may, on the, the day of Christ's return, be presented fully mature. The invite this morning for you is to come and play your part as we emerge from lockdown again. God bless you.